G'day and welcome to Machinist Therapy Hotline. Thank you for listening. This is episode six and yet again we have the dream team available to discuss your topics. Tony Closer. Let's get ready to rumble. Shane Paul. Yo, yo. Albert Rogzinski. Did somebody order a pizza? Not me. But this week we will be discussing dynamic milling and toilet etiquette, amongst other things. So, let's get on with the podcast. Well, thank you for joining us on the Machinist Therapy Hotline. And to kick things off this week, we are going to be discussing dynamic melon and albert has got the question and he will kick us off yes all right yeah so uh james moore he uh he chimed in and he asked about the high efficiency milling and machining um his question was with all the new technology and tooling and programming software how are people using it and what is the general consensus of its effectiveness we use mastercam with dynamic milling so I don't even know if that was a question necessarily, but it sounds like he's already using dynamic milling. So, um, I mean, I think it's absolutely imperative to use that like with milling. I mean, there's, there's of course instances where you don't need to use it or you might not want to use it, but on the whole, especially for roughing, um, even, even more so in like difficult materials, I think that that's, the best way to take advantage of kind of like some of the more, you know, modern tools. Um, Mm -hmm. Like for example, like uh, Imco has like a whole, they have a couple different series of tools that um, are designed specifically for like the high efficiency milling stuff. And actually they work really well. Like they're, they're pretty badass tools uh, when you apply them correctly. You you can rip through some some nasty stainless or steel, like even dry, and and have pretty good results. But um, you know you got to you got to program offline. It's like even even in something like a a Mazak with a Mazer troll, like I don't think you can I don't think you can do that on there, can you? Yeah. You can. Hey, I got to interrupt. I got to interrupt you guys. On the I don't new even control. Really... I don't even know okay. what dynamic milling is. Can you tell me what dynamic uh, milling is? Okay, I don't yeah, have a clue. Right. We should we should back up a little bit. So dynamic yeah. dynamic milling is dynamic milling is just like a kind of like a trade name from Mastercam for basically it's a constant radial engagement of the cutter. Okay. And so like the cam the cam software kind of generates this path that looks a little goofy. It almost kind of looks like if you were to drop a stone in a pond mm-hmm. and the ripples propagating out are kind of what that tool path would end up looking like. And so they bounce off of other objects in the water, you know, like a, like an Island or something, and it's going to mm-hmm. change the path that, and that's kind of like the principle, I guess. Um, it would be really difficult to program something like that by hand. Right. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a super efficient way to basically remove more material quicker and to oh. get more even tool life. I've got to say, I, I think that was a fantastic description. <laughs> that, sounded, that sounded pretty cool. Yeah, oh, shit. Yeah. I think that's like the, the best thing I've had to say then. Yeah, I mean, ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Albert, you've peaked. <laughs> oh, don't tell him that. He'll stop. Fuck, I'm done. All right, that's it. Unplug the mic. Back to the party. I think it was all that all that underwater scuba diving you did kind of created this imagination for you. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> Sorry, carry on, carry on, carry on. Um, but no, so, so Shane, you're you're saying uh, that the new Mazak controls will do that? Yeah, and it's it's pretty simple. Like you just kind of if you have just like a pocket or a profile. Like you literally just put in the numbers, and if there's a radius here, you put a radius. If there's a chamfer, you can you can either, um, you know, calculate the points or just put, you know, hey, a thirty thousandths chamfer, and it'll automatically generate a forty-five, and then it'll calculate okay. out the tool path for you. And if you have a pocket with like islands and stuff, you can put those in there. Interesting. And it'll do it. It does it. It does a decent job. I mean, it's not. It it doesn't like we run a spree. 
and Esprit calls it profit milling. It doesn't do as good a job as that, but it for okay. how quick and fast it is, if you're just doing a couple parts, it's it's really efficient. What kind of tool do you guys use when you guys do this? What kind is the tooling? The um, so like you can use anything really, but like there's like I said, those tools by Imco, for example, it's it's a special like the they're usually like between five and like nine flutes, I think. Okay. And they don't have like a huge relief in the flute. So you, the actual core portion of the end mill is more solid. So you actually have a more rigid tool. Okay. Uh, so you're not taking like a huge radial engagement with a tool like that. You might take like an 8% step over, but your feed per tooth can be like through the roof. Like you could be at like, you know, 15 thou feed per tooth or feed I per rep. So um, your your material removal rate's high, um, but you you have like a lot of control doing that. You're never it's you know like long gone are the days of running a simple pocketing routine where you're just jamming an end mill into a corner. You know, I mean if you're right. doing that, I don't know. I I wouldn't do that. We use like a dynamic big, for everything though. A big advantage of it too is you, a lot of times it allows you to run a, a smaller tool i.e. cheaper so stuff uh-huh. you would do before with like a three-quarter inch end mill you can do with like a uh, a five sixteenths or a quarter inch even and and it'll it'll do you know j- about the same i mean you're obviously taking a, a smaller step over and stuff but if you unless you're removing like a whole lot of material you don't need to use this big expensive tool and it allows you to be pretty quick with even, you know, a much smaller tool. But do you find, yep. um, like, would you would you find that you can be too clever with it? That you go, oh, you know, you can oh, you could you, you could overcomplicate something by saying, right, I need to do dynamic milling on virtually everything that I do. When sometimes it's it just doesn't require that. Yeah. I mean, we we did a a, a pretty simple. Uh, mill part last week and it, it the we just had some material that was already slugged laying around and so we used that so we were taking a lot off the outside and you know you could look at it and be like well I already have this tool in the machine I might as well just use it or you can all I did was I just took a high feed cutter and just ramped it down as I went around it and just took you know a full width of cut and it took five minutes you know as opposed to if I I did it in profit milling. It probably would have taken 10, 15 minutes. I wonder who came up with the name profit milling. Do you reckon yeah, that's, that's because a really of the... interesting name. Yeah, it's like, it's like almost what you were saying, Shane, where you went, oh, that you could use a cheaper cutter. So yeah. the, the manufacturers know you're probably going to use smaller, cheaper cutters, and therefore you're making profit. Do you reckon that was I a mean, sales it... tactic? Probably. But I mean, it's you can definitely overcomplicate it because there are so many variables that you can change, and I mean, you can change, you know, angles of engagement and and just so many things. And I mean, you can really sit there and try to tune it in. And I mean, if you're doing production, that that all makes yeah. sense. But yeah, I was just about to say that it's great, great for production because the the degree of control that you have with something like dynamic milling or profit milling or, you know, whatever your cam manufacturer calls it is pretty large. And, you know, from a software standpoint, like you all, you always want to have as much control over what you're trying to do through the software. And there's always going to be weird workarounds that you have to deal with in cam to like get it to do what you want to do. So um, that's why it's interesting to hear you say that Mazertrol does it. I'd, I'd be really interested to see how that compares to like an offline cam system. Uh, I mean, like I said, it, it does okay. It's never going to compare, I don't think. But I mean, who knows? If, if they keep developing it further, then it might have a chance. But I mean, so far it's worked pretty damn good. That's pretty cool. I feel like they got to be probably one of the only. Um, OEMs right now that's actually offering that in conversational. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think Herco does on the Windows. Oh, yeah, control. okay. I, I think I they have that. something like that. But yeah, no, it, it, it seems to work good. 
when um, when you're you know when you decide okay I'm gonna I'm gonna for this pr particular proportion of my component I need to do a dynamic milling like program or you know or or, or toolpath should I say. Um, when do you decide that? What, at what point do you go? Oh, I, I think this is what I want to do. Like, or do you let the controller pick for you and say, "Do you want to do that in this?" Like, what are you? What's the process? Like, if you had a component in front of you, uh, how do you process it in your head? You know, because we all have our own weird and wonderful way how we're going to map out to machine something. Like, what's what's your process to to make that decision? Me Albert. or Albert? Albert, Albert, oh. sorry, Albert. Oh, I mean, I, I think like a lot of that depends on the part geometry, of course, but I would say like probably a good 90% of the time um, from a programming standpoint, like one of the first things that we're doing is roughing the part out using, you know, dynamic milling or profit milling or, you know, whatever you want to call it. That's usually step one. And then like, for example, we run these production parts and we're doing like kind of like several different roughing strategies where we'll rough out with like a large tool to try to get out, you know, like the bulk of the material, maybe like 75 percent or more of the material. But then inevitably, there's going to be some features that you're going to need to use like a smaller tool on to get some of that material out. So we can switch to that and continue to rough with that. But you know, from a time perspective, you're you're roughing with a larger tool first, obviously. Hmm. Okay. So oh, I'm just thinking. You know, there'll, there'll be there'll be people out there that you know. I think this is a good good opportunity for our listeners to, uh, or if you are listening now, you know, why not send us a DM <clears throat> and ask some questions about dynamic melon? Because you know, I, I think there's there's a lot of there'll be people out there that have never jumped into dynamic melon uh, would like to get into dynamic melon <clears throat> and want to want probably want to talk to someone that has done it before so i think albert you're probably the key person to do that you know and i i you know once that came out and i started using it there is like no turning back it, i mean i think that that's like one of the one of the i don't want to say even the best innovations that's come out in machining in a long time because that would be kind of like that would be wrong of me to say, but um, it's it was definitely a game changer. Um, you know, like in a lot of in a lot of instances in in easier to machine materials, you don't really need to use it necessarily. But um, in some of the more difficult materials, it, it definitely will improve tool life. Would you yeah, say it's just sounds... become now? It's become good practice to do it. I or... I mean I think so. Mm. Yeah, it sounds it sounds like it's definitely what people are using these days. You know, last time I was super deep into in the milling at, at another job shop where I worked for a guy that did all the programming himself. He would we would do some production and, and basically he would start out with whatever inside this cavity, this pocket was, whatever was the biggest radius that he had to achieve, and he picked that end mill. And it was like if it was a half inch radius in the corner, then he was roughing the whole thing out with a half inch rougher and then coming back and finishing it and it's like times of uh what was you're that? Right? sorry you were talking about how he was roughing it it was making me sick <laughs> oh my oh. god <laughs> oh, yeah so anyway like geez. i said that was that was in the 90s all right pretty dynamic. i worked with a guy like that and he would exactly the same like if it was a half inch radius like well obviously we're using a one inch cutter you know, and he would, we had this machine and he would, he would always say, oh, this machine can't turn corners good. The other one does better. And it was just because he was, you know, he'd be an inch and a half deep in a pocket, just banging this corner with an end mill. And it's like, dude, use a smaller end mill and, you know, let it take a swing around there. But that was just how he did things. Yeah. Wow. I actually, uh, I'll, whenever I'm working with like an engineer or something on a part, um, and they're asking me like what they can do to make <clears throat> make something easier to machine or whatever. A lot of times, engineers will design like a internal corner radius to be like size on to like a tool radius. And I know that they think that they're being like handy by doing that because it's like, oh, like I know that end mills come in fractional sizes, and it's like 
it's gonna it's gonna make it harder you know and so i always tell them like if it doesn't have to be like a half inch radius or something spot on make it ten thou bigger so that that tool you can use a large tool like a half inch radius tool and just take a tiny sweep through that corner and then you're not going to be jamming it in there you know that's why i keep regrinds around there you yeah. go two that could be a song <laughs> I keep regrounds around, regrounds around, ba 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 bum, and then and kind of worked up talking about tools getting jammed in places. This is bad. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with jamming a tool in tight places. <laughs> no. What? Uh, <laughs> depends on the tool. Exactly. Maybe I'm just excited to talk to you guys. I don't know. Actually, no. It, just, it depends on. Sorry, it depends on the tight place. Sorry, I should have rephrased that. <laughs> <laughs> there are definite type places there's certain tools aren't going to go trust me <laughs> so that that leads me straight on to the next group question which Criminals? i believe uh <laughs> boomer's gonna kick us off with and that is toilet etiquette in the toilet workshop etiquette in the workshop yeah <clears throat> Go, yeah, boomer. This one, uh, Go boomer. I think I think everyone will have something to say about it, especially Tony, because I saw the when I was there, I saw the signs he had posted in his bathroom. <laughs> but um <laughs> no, I, I went into the bathroom today and there was like <laughs> next to the toilet, there's a spot for two rolls and they're both empty. Yep. And in that in, it's in the handicap stall, there's a giant cabinet. And you open it, and there's probably three dozen rolls of toilet paper. You know, or or you'll go in there, and the the reels will be empty, and someone will just set one on top. Yeah. And uh, and then we have a urinal that's like kind of lower down, <laughs> and someone <laughs> has some stubby little <laughs> dick that won't point down in the slightest and they piss all over the top of the urinal and then they how, just leave it there hey I, but i've got a question how do you know that actually someone in your workplace is actually carrying around like the big d like but he walks into into the the urinal and stands right back against the wall and says i fucking got this like, and maybe it's the other way around. Maybe he's pounding like 14 inches. And he's like, I'm going to pressure wash that urinal from 15 feet away. That could be true too. Don't you think? Maybe, maybe while he's in the bathroom, he's got his phone out and he's looking at Pornhub and he can't <laughs> point that, can't point it down because it keeps coming back up. And he's just like pushing it. <laughs> he stands up on his tiptoes and, and he lets go. And, oh. like, That's kind of what I was thinking. Or, or like Albert is just—he's not on Pornhub. He's on Cats of Instagram. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> hey, oh no, it's got to keep it's going enough. up. <laughs> pussy is pussy. That's right. Uh, we—I don't know. We—we we have a slightly different issue where, uh, you know, we've got a a, a multicultural in workforce, and mm-hmm. uh, and I'm. One of those guys that you may have seen pictures of um, or people have posted pictures of that puts these instructions on the toilet that says, don't stand on the toilet seat while you're taking a poop. Because, wow, yeah, we've we've been through that and uh, took a took a wee while to to kind of sort that stuff up. <clears throat> yeah. Well, you, you know, developed a you... training matrix for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we probably need to try new matrix. You should, you should also have a matrix for if you're standing next to a guy and he's talking to you, and then he shakes <laughs> it so hard that some of it flies up, and goes across, and hits you on the face. That is bad news. That Speaking is bad of news, which, Tony. You know, I remember, <laughs> when I was at IMTS, you know. This last year, my God, the attendance was, you know, just unreal. It was record-breaking, by the way. And so there were so many dudes there. I mean, the, 
I went with my wife and she could go to the bathroom and there was nobody in line. She was in and out waiting for me. And it's like the total opposite of concerts or anything else you go to where all the girls got lines around the corner, you know, and waiting to pee and it's freaking taking forever. Well, IMTS is so weird because it's all dudes and they're waiting around the corner and they all been drinking beers and they got to go pee. And so I go in and I take a leak and I come out and I wash my hands and there's no fucking paper towels. And I come out and there's this line of people I'm walking by. And God damn it, I see SS CAD cam and I reach out and I say, hey, how are you doing? And my hand's all dripping wet and I shake it and he shakes my hand and I look back at him and he's looking at me like, is this water? <laughs> still, still to this day, he will never shake my hand again. <laughs> he is a wise man, I say, Tony. He's a wise man. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's kind of weird. What about, um, how do you deal with, like, the female toilets at work, Boomer? Uh, they have their own bathroom on the other side, on right. the uh, production side. And right. uh, they actually took the, the male and female signs off them, and then just, they were just bathrooms. And then uh, one of the owners is a female, and then she quickly changed that back. To being a female-only bathroom. <laughs> yeah, good, cool. After after uh, having a couple bad experiences, so it didn't take her long to realize that who's the one messing the bathrooms up. I've got a, I, I got the story. This guy at my 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 work uh, a long time ago, before where I'm working now, when he would go to take a dump, he would, and I'm not joking, he would face the other way on the toilet so he would oh, sit what yeah that's the best because then you could use the top of the toilet as like a shelf to like put a book that's, on or something that's what he said he goes i could yeah. then what I, the I, 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 could, <laughs> I know but then the worst thing was the worst thing was like because then there was you know and then there's like these skid marks that go from the front of the pen backwards and i was like wow. what the hell is going on the guy was like yeah man i just sit on it that facing that way so i can so i can read the paper i'm like i have never i, I, I don't even know how that would work you'd have to really stretch your legs apart wouldn't you wait do though do you realize now that when he's turned around pointing the other way that his junk is setting on the back <laughs> where your butt crack will be when you go to set there and there's going to be some little steamy ball prints there Oh, man, that's bad. <laughs> oh, dearie me. Whew. Well, I got a question oh, for you Did you, you just all. say that's the best? No, Who's Jody that, Tony? That. No, I didn't say that. He's, are you talking to Albert? No, uh, Jody said Someone that. said that's the best. I that thought. wouldn't fucking be me. I wouldn't want to set my butt where somebody falls. So, question. Question here. Okay, Shane, okay. Like, like Shane said, he's been in my bathroom, and I have went to the internet and printed out specific directions on which way fucking toilet paper goes, because there's only one way that it goes. Jody, over or under? Can I just, well, can I just say one thing first? Yeah, you can say yeah. over or under. It's pretty fucking simple. <laughs> toilet paper. What if the toilet paper goes on sideways? It can't go what? on sideways. Of course it can. If the if the holder is pointing outwards, so instead of the roll, the flat part of the roll being against the wall, it's the well, round. Hold piece. on, did you just say? Did you just say flat part of a roll? What the? I think this <laughs> what the fuck, fuck is going roll? on in New Zealand? <laughs> oh my! And I suppose the toilets flush backwards too, right? Oh my! Uh, God. No. <laughs> When <laughs> I can't, I'm losing it. Right. What I mean is, no, sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> yeah, right, not, whatever. <laughs> no, not the not the diameter part, but the, the length part. If the length part isn't against the wall, it's sideways on. You know what I mean? So instead of you having to put a roll in like either over or under, you just go sideways. Okay, so if you grab a hold of the toilet paper. Which way is the paper coming out to you from below X zero or X positive? <laughs> what? <laughs> Albert gets it. Come on, man. It's I get what you're saying. Uh, okay, Jody, 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 you're gonna, Jody, you, you, you press it. 
Do you know what he's why does the toilet just why does the roll not go on sideways? I don't understand. Do you know what he's, you know what he's pressing past? Shane, answer the question. <laughs> Over. Albert, answer the question. I mean, ideally over, but <laughs> I'm not picky. Idea? I'm just happy that there's toilet paper there. Good, ideally. Good it's okay. a 50 50 choice. <laughs> Back to Jody. So he goes sideways. Just go sideways. Sideways. <laughs> oh, my why, God. Why are people not putting things on sideways? And then you don't have to worry about it being over a runder because it's just, I it's always on okay, okay. toilet So, so in New Zealand, do you wipe right to left or left to right? Or do you scrunch or fold? <laughs> Front to back. You don't want to get an infection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want it. I don't want to. I'm not wiping towards my balls. Not never. <laughs> oh, I just, I just, <laughs> like I never. Just do it sideways. That, like, that would be like. That's like like what your mum would do when you were a baby. You'd wipe yeah, up but, like that. Like that's not how you wipe your bum. But if Is you're it? like Albert and you're sitting on the toilet backwards reading your book, and then <laughs> which way you go? <laughs> the great thing, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. The great thing about sitting on the toilet backward is it's much easier to take a constant radial engagement with the toilet paper. <laughs> you fucking Next, do that, don't you? I know. No, I no, hold on. Next, you'll be telling me backwards. you took. Next, you'll be telling me you put the toilet seat up and you just sit straight in the bowl, and then you could just flush and wash and walk no, away. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. He's he's sitting on the toilet backwards while his cat's on the tank, and he could pet the cat. Ah, uh, true. You're, you you might not be wrong. <laughs> I might not be wrong. Is that what you said? <laughs> I don't have a problem with that. Okay, next. Stop the podcast. Hey, Boomer, if someone wants to get involved in this podcast, what do they need to do? Tell us the details. All they got to do is slide in the DMs and give us a question. Can it be anything or does it always have to be machining related? It could be anything and everything. And, and maybe one night I'll be drinking and I'll give them some unsolicited advice. Who knows? Well, that to me sounds like something that you cannot and should not miss. So, let's get on with the podcast. Well, that probably leads us straight into our next topic. Um, Boomer, you want to talk about uh, the dilution of the trade. Is that right? Yeah. So, at Big CNC Guy says, how do you guys feel about the dilution of this great trade by the way of operators that can only push a cycle start button and open a vice and, quote, CNC machinist, unquote, that can't program or manually turn a thread is being a true machinist going by the wayside. And uh, this is something that I, I kind of feel, like, pretty passionate about. I think the word machinist is thrown around way too much and way too loosely. Um, and it kind of ties into what we talked about. I think it was the second episode, uh, where Tony chose, you know, is manual machining still viable? And I think a lot has to do with that, that, you know, a lot of people aren't learning how to do things manually. And I, I think it, the thing that bugs me more than anything is when guys will like box themselves in and be like, Oh, I'm a mill machinist or I'm a lathe machinist. And, I've actually had, I had a night shift guy and I said, Hey, you know, there's this job on the mill is really just kind of keeping it busy. You know, this job over here on this slate is way more important and way hotter. And I need you to run this. And he like sat there and argued with me for like a half hour about how he's a mill machinist and how this is bullshit and he shouldn't be doing it and all this stuff. And it's like, well, are you a machinist or not? Was and... the shop shit talk guy or? No. <laughs> <laughs> but just uh, wondering. Yeah, but it, it's you know, and, and I that's how I kind of feel about it. Is if you can't run both efficiently, if hey, you know, we have you know someone let these five parts slip through, and this mm -hmm. diameter is just a little over. Can I can you take it over to the engine lathe and cut a set of jaws? And can you, you know, just skim this off of there and keep everything concentric and keep the runout down? And if you can't, 
I don't think you're a machinist. That's yeah, you me, know what? But it's 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 very uh, you know I've touched on this before too with that one boss that I had that liked to move us from machine to machine just to fuck with us the to to you know not uh, let us get confident. But it worked into my advantage was that I, I was forced to learn both and I could walk over today still and and, and, and do okay no matter where I'm at. But the thing is, when the shop gets slow and the lathe guys are busy as fuck or there is no lathe work and the mill guys are busy as fuck, you're better off to know both because you can slide on over and get your edge finder out and put those parts in the vise and pick up a zero and go. And it's, it's good to be yep. versatile. Definitely. Yeah. And like... So we have this, I've, I've made a few posts about him. We call him the Russian bear. And he's this older Russian gentleman that uh, he, our manual section is kind of his little domain. And guys will take stuff over there and, you know, be like, hey, I fucked this up. Or, hey, I broke a tap off in this. Like, can you get it out for me? And then, you know, he'll say, oh, no problem, no problem. And then, <laughs> and they... They'll to- they'll just fuck off while he does it, and they won't pay attention to what he's doing. And it's like, it, it really pisses me off. It's like, how are you gonna, you know, he's he's doing it. He'll show you how to do it, but you don't give a fuck. Yeah. You know. Can I? What? A, what? If, is it? Are you? Are you? Are you more um, pissed off with people calling themselves machinists, or? Um, or the way in which uh, businesses operate and employ people to say that they're machinists. So, uh, so, if, so, what you know, you know what I mean. Like, so, for example, would you be that pissed off if the guy that had walked away was actually employed just as an operator? No, but he should pay attention and fucking learn. Watch. Yeah, and, and we're. Well, that, and I don't disagree with that, but I'm just saying that, you know, there's when we talk about the dilution, it's quite a. There's there's a bigger picture stuff there. You know, you can talk about people that that are te- that are calling themselves machinists, mm-hmm. but are actually employed as operators. Now that's a, that's a, I think that's a totally different topic. I think it yeah. depends on the company. And like we have a we have a training program. We we train everybody up. We don't, you know, hey, you're just an operator, just hit the button and shut the fuck up. We don't right. do that. Um, there are some a lot of shops that do do that. But I also think that I mean if you're sh- even if you are in that environment, if you're showing, you know, some initiative mm-hmm. and you're you're trying to pick things up and you're learning things and you know you you are reading through through the code and you learn what what everything is and you know how to how to how to hand punch a can cycle or something like i think that goes a long way and even if you are in that environment i think it's going to show and i I think you are going to i think you know when it is time hey we need another setup guy do we just hire one or do we you know hey this kid's really got it like he's really into it you know let's just move him up and hire an operator right well, Shane, when you guys run an ad to hire somebody, do you guys break it down and say, like, well, maybe you don't even ask for operators. But, I mean, back in the old days, when I would pick up the Santa Rosa Press Democrat, it would say, we're looking for a machine operator or looking for a journeyman machinist four to five years minimum experience. So operator guys wouldn't even go there because, one, they didn't have their brown toolbox. They didn't know how to fucking set up a machine and run it. So if you're a button pusher slash operator, I mean, a machine operator, in my opinion, is entry level. And you're going to go there and they're going to show you how to do what you need to do. And like you said, if you can do that correctly and then, you know, run a a few weeks to a month without screwing anything up royally, then they're going to advance you. I mean, do you break that down when you hire somebody? Yeah, we break that down. And honestly, we've had better luck just hiring entry level guys and training them. And, And, you know, you'll have. We've had guys come in and, and they're asking for top dollar and, you know, you pretty much, I pretty much make it clear in their interview, like, you know, Hey, it's, it's, if I'll pay you that, but it's put up or shut up, you know, here's what we have. You can see what we have and, you know, they'll say, Oh, I've never run a maze act before. And it's like, okay, well, we'll teach you, but they still want, 
top dollar and you kind of have to make that decision on the fly. Like, you know, does this guy really have it and can he learn this? And, you know, we've had several guys that come in and they'll say, Oh, because we do do a lot in maze of troll, especially on our mill, because a lot of it is we, we make valves. So a lot of it's just putting holes and stuff, Mm -hmm. which is what maze or maze of trolls, you know, really good at on a mill. And so, uh, you know, we've had guys and they'll come in and say, oh, if this was a G-code machine, none of this would be a problem. Well, you can program it G-code as well. And it's, you know, I right. tell them, look, I don't, I don't care how you do it. Just get it done and make sure it's done right. And then they come up with some other excuses and some other things. And and, yep. and it's... It would, I would be super hesitant to pay somebody more for something that they don't know yet. And I'd rather have them prove themselves because usually it seems like if you pay them to do like what you were saying, they haven't run a Mazak, but they claim they know how to do it. I feel like there's no incentive for them because they already got the reward. Yeah, but it, it's it's we're in kind of a weird situation because this town, it, everybody has a Haas, and so someone will pay them, mm-hmm. you know, just as much money or more because they can just walk in and make parts, and so there's been a few instances where we've kind of just taken a chance on people and it it really hasn't worked for us. So, yeah, but are we now talking about having robust training systems as opposed to the, the original question? Yeah, I don't know. You know, I mean, like, 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 for example, let's just say, let's just say Tony's, Let's just say Tony wins a a five million dollar contract. Fingers crossed. Like let's just say that happens, and he needs to make five different widgets, and they are going to be pumping out all day, every day. I mean, you're not going to put an advert out to have uh, a like a fully skilled, ten year experience like mega setter. You're just going to yeah. want an operator that's going to be able to measure the the key parts or attributes of that component, and so therefore. There's a there's a place for that now. Whether that person then comes in and runs the machines that Tony's got and calls himself a machinist, I think that's where s- sort of some of the either dilution or problem lies. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. No. Exactly. I, I agree. Because it's got to it's got to be viable for you know the business owner. It's got to be able to say, well, you know, like, I, I I have a job for somebody, but you know, if you are actively um, advertising for a like i say a really skilled guy then that's what you have to pay but if you're only advertising as an operator and their job description says operator quite often the people that go oh there's maybe you know a dilution of the trade is because there's so many operators out there that are actually calling themselves machinists and i think that that's the danger point and it's like i agree what what shane says is you bring people in and and you look at them, and if they have a clue on what's going on, I mean, you can, you can, if you're in this trade, you can be a pretty good judge of people. And so it's like, you know, you bring somebody in, and no matter, it doesn't have to be in, even in machining. You could be out on the farm, and people can pick poop up in a different, efficient manner versus people that just don't do it correctly. And it's like, for instance, I've got my youngest daughter working with me right now, and she's running the Akuma LT200 making those exhaust tips. And then we, we threw another machine at her today. She's hand unhand loading one of the stars and making some long parts. And so she rotates both controls towards her so she can see the MOs and, and she's washing and wrapping and packages and shit like that. But when somebody is in that mode and then they pull out one of them exhaust tips and there's a little skid mark inside where a wadded chips or a bird's nest got drugged down it. And she brings it to your attention and says, you know, this one's not nearly as shiny as the last five that I ran. Is there a problem going to keep going or is it was it just a fluke? And, you know, when you have somebody that brings that to your attention, uh, they're obviously paying attention to what's going on. They're not just there to punch the clock and make a dollar per hour. They kind of give a shit about what they're doing. And if we could get more people, they give a shit about what they're doing in the world. Then the whole place would be just would benefit. And and and. You know, like Shane said, entry level, it's a lot easier to teach somebody the way you want things done versus bringing somebody in that knows fucking everything and you got to tell them that's not the way that it's done. Mm. Uh, Actually, I've just got one other thing as well with, um, I've got this guy here and he really, he actually says, you know, I'm a production 
operator. And I was like, well, you know, if you're an operator, that's fine. But like, I don't know why you're adding the word production. But on production runs, it, he can run, honestly, he can run four or five machines mm-hmm. at a hundred percent because mm-hmm. um, because he has the ability for time management. So he exactly. goes, right. He goes, right, I've got this, I've got this machine here. It's got, you know, bloody, you know, a five minute cycle. Then there's a three minute cycle. Then there's a four minute cycle on, on all these different machines. And as part of our um, inspection paperwork, you know, it might say, right, measure a one, one in five parts, you know, per run. And he'll right. go, right, I'm going to, on this first machine, I start the machine. I'm going to wait, you know, 45 seconds. Now I'm going to walk over to this machine. I'm going to start this machine. And then, it, and, and it continues like that until he's got this rhythm. And the rhythm, right. you know, the, the rhythm starts. And then when he's doing the inspection, he does the same thing. He'll go, right, I'm going to measure two critical dimensions on this one part on this round. And then he does that on all of them. And then the next time or when he gets when he's done a full circle, he gets to the next machine and he measures another two critical dimensions. And by the time he's done five rounds, he's measured one whole part, but he's done it yes. in five separate parts, you know. And it's yes. And, and a lot of people awesome. I, I've tried to get him to train other people to do yeah. what he does but no one can he's just like this it's yeah but he will never be uh, he will never be a like a prime super setter or a mega programmer but he is an amazing operator and you'd be willing to pay him more because he's so much better at that part of his job because he does it the way he does and he's worth yeah. and he's worth that you know what i mean yeah those yeah. guys are definitely specialty kind of guys like that i mean i've been around a couple of those and there's been people that would document how many parts you get per shift and, and your scrap rate and your good rate was. But, I mean, the fact that he started one machine and then waited a little while for it to start the other obviously proved that he knew after so much time how things were going to go and when he had time to inspect it. And those guys are worth their weight in gold, especially when oh, you're in a production shop. Yeah. Shit, oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, we, we, me and a, a co-worker that I've worked with for, like, 10 years, we always talk about like there's things you can't teach people and people, it's something that people either have or they don't. And, you know, we have people, like you said, you know, that they're never really going to go any further than where they are. And it's, you know, I, I've, I've sat over there and tried to run parts with them just to get them kind of more efficient. And, you know, like I'll, I'll turn around and I'll be doing my first art or uh, my in-process inspection. And I'll be like, okay, there's the drill. It's done. There's the rough bar, you know, and, and I'm saying this stuff as I'm measuring this other part and recording dimensions. And then, okay, now I know the finish bar is going to go and there's going to be a stop right here where I have to, you know, stick this little hook in and pull all these little chips out because it's packing in there. And then, you know, I'll start it and then I know it's going to do this. I know it's going to do that. And then I know this comes next. And then I have to, you know, check this, you know, plus or minus two tenths dimension, you know, in the machine, because if it's bad, then I'm just going to part it off and not go any further. Um, and, and, and it's like, you know, he's just like looking at me, like, what are you even talking about? I don't know what's going on. And it, and it's, you know, some people just don't get it, I guess. I mean, some, (laughs) some guys, some guys get it and they, they know what they're looking at and some don't, I mean, that's really what it comes down to. I mean, honestly, Jody, you're lucky you've got an operator like that because that dude sounds like a superstar. I yeah. mean, to, I mean, to, to people, I think, like us, I think that time management is something that kind of comes a little bit more naturally. And, you know, you, you think about, like, what's the most efficient way to do the tasks that I need to do in the shop? Like, I've got one machine that's got an hour-long cycle time, and I've got one machine that's got a seven-minute cycle time. And I'm running both these machines. They both finish at the same time. Which one am I going to change first? You know, not everybody would answer the same way, surprisingly. Okay, Tony, I think you are going to kick us off with uh, criminals in the workplace or uh, personalities in the workplace. Would that is that the same thing? Or yeah, it was. Norris seven forty had the suggestion slash question. It was entertaining criminal criminals in the workforce, and yes, I have been around a few of those, and you know, I've had some night shift guys that would you know, drink their beers and hide them under red rags and I'd come in in the morning and they forgot to put them away or 
there'd be a guy that got fired and he would go home and come back and take apart the air compressor and we'd fire it up in the morning and it wouldn't run because there was parts missing. Stuff like that. But, you know, I, I might have touched on this in a prior topic on one of the other podcasts, but I did actually work with a guy straight out of San Quentin. And he was a skinny dude and he had a ponytail and he had a goatee and he came walking through the shop and the boss walked him through there. And we, you know how it is. It's a dog and pony show. When you walk somebody through the shop, everybody in the mill department, late department, deeper department, everybody sees who it is. <clears throat> and he looked kind of fucking scary. And so, uh, you know, he walked him through and he walked him out and I walked into the, you know, my, my guy's office and I said, who is that? And he's all, this, this guy, we're going to give him a go. He's from San Quentin. He has some experience in there and he says he can run a CNC mill. I said, well, he looks a little rough. And he's oh well, you know, it is what it is. We're going to give him a go. And I said, well, you realize there's a lot of women working here too in the Duver department and, and such. And, you know, at the time, I, my wife now, but was my girlfriend then was working there and, and he just... He looked like he'd done some hard time. And so anyway, they brought him in and he started working in the CNC mills as an operator. And uh, he, you know, seemed to follow direction really well. Uh, He took his smoke breaks. He was an avid smoker, Um, you know, and time went by and I hadn't really talked to him because I was in the lathe department down at the other end of the shop. And we would always, you know, eventually see each other break and this, that and the other. And then, uh, Got to talk to him a little bit, and then we picked up another machine in my area, and I, they, we needed another operator, and they decided to move him back there. And so I got to talking to him and, and working with him, and, you know, he turned out to be a, a pretty decent dude, and he had gotten his shit straight. He was back when three strikes and you're out. He had two, so he really couldn't afford to fuck up, or he'd go back and he'd never get out. And uh, it was a polite guy, and he meant no disrespect to anybody and it was kind of weird because i mean he didn't look like that and and it's just one of those things you can't really judge somebody by how they look and so he came working for me back there in the department and i taught him some things and he listened and uh and then with his time back there you know he started telling me some stories he was from southern california before you know he got put away and uh in early days and uh, he partied and he had done a lot of things. And he had actually told me he saw Van Halen when they were still in the garage. Some of his friends of our friends said, these guys are, you know, playing the night. Let's walk over here. And they were in the garage and they were playing. And and uh, he would uh, go to the liquor store and he'd buy two fifths. He'd put up tequila, one in each back pocket. Because when he would go there, he told me that all of his friends knew that he had some. So he would share the one with everybody, give him a nip here and a nip there. And then he kept the one to himself and. And that's how he went to the parties and, and he'd come back and he'd be cool. And he told me one at a time some of the craziest shit. I mean, just random off the wall stuff. I don't even know how he would come up with this. But he told me that one of the craziest things that he ever did, he remember being in one of his friend's kitchen. And out of all the shit that you could buy out there on the, on the market, on the street, that would fuck you up. He said, you could go to Safeway and buy a can of the old Pam spray pan stuff for the, you know, anti-stick shoot that shit in the bag, huff it. And he said, me and my friend decided to do that at the same time in the kitchen. We shot that in a paper bag. We huffed it. And I remember he went down before me, but I looked at him. We were both leaning against the wall and he slid down that wall and hit the floor. And I slid down that wall and hit the floor. And we didn't wake up until about, you know, one o'clock the next day. And I was like, really? Pam can do that to you? And he's all, yes, he can. And, uh, so he, you know, he worked with us a little bit longer and told me some more stories. But then he ended up meeting a girl that had been divorced and they'd been getting seeing each other for quite a while. And anyway, wrap this up a little bit. They, you know, liked each other okay. They didn't actually get married yet, but they decided to buy a house together and they bought one in Santa Rosa and uh, they moved in together and then they bought another one and rented the other one out. And uh, he, he told me that he wanted to do something romantic for his girl. And, and uh, the second one they moved into, the people that they bought it from left some wood. Cause it had a, a fireplace in it. Left some wood in the garage and said, we're just going to leave that for you if you, you know, want to use it, use it fine. And so he went to the hardware store and he bought an axe. And so he went out in the garage and he stood these logs up on the end. 
and he took an axe. Now, he wasn't splitting it with a ball. He was freaking had an axe, and he stood that sucker up on the edge, and he swung hard, tried to split that log, and it got stuck in it. And uh, he couldn't get that fucker out of there. And he beat that thing around. He was said he was as hot and sweaty and frustrated. And all he wanted to do was start a fire for him and his girl in that new house. And he couldn't get that axe out of that fucking log. So he ended up going to the store and buying a presto log and starting a fire for him and his girl. And uh, he, he was a really killer dude. And he ended up leaving that shop and moving to another shop. And it actually was a shop that I was making parts for when I started my own business. And I drove down there to drop off some parts and, and met him. And I was glad that he was working there. And then, you know, a few months went by and I drove down again and saw him. And he had his look on his face. And I said, hey, you know, how's it going, man? He's all, oh, not so good. And I said, what's up? And he's all, I just got back from the doctor. And uh he says, I've got cancer. I've got throat cancer and I've only got a, you know, a few months to live. And I go, you're fucking shitting me. And, and sure shit. No, like I said, he was an avid smoker and, and, and that's, that was his only vice that he had left. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was really, it was really weird for me to witness all the shit that I did, you know, first of all, judging him and thinking that he was hard and not a cool dude and then getting to know him and then realizing what he was doing and then him getting two houses and then him, getting married and then and then him fucking dying and uh i went to his funeral and uh they asked me to speak and i did and i kind of told the same story i'm telling now but i uh, you know i will never judge somebody at, at, at a look like that again until you actually get to know somebody and uh he was a cool dude and i'm glad i got to meet him and anyhow i kind of got off topic here but all criminals you know we we talk about how they'll never change this guy he did and uh it was kind of cool to see mm. yeah a good story man that is a good story thanks i mean because to be fair i mean none of us would probably want to be friends with boomer if we had that attitude of like you know not really judging people by the way they look because you look pretty scary boomer you're like a, you know you look like a, i don't know a wrestler or something no, I don't know about that, but <laughs> like a, a 1995 WWE wrestler, you know, that's that's, that's what I got in my head. The picture Something that comes like to that. mind was. It's all right, but um, so we had we had a night shift guy, and uh... <laughs> no, I'm joking. Sorry, carry on, go on, go on. So we had this night shift guy, and and he was he was kind of sketchy, and um. You know, he was kind of always fucking things up, but we were just so busy at the time. He was just like a body, you know? And so it was at this uh, job shop that I used to work at. And so it was kind of like, oh, we'll find something easier for him to do. Where's something that he can't fuck up? And uh, so then uh, one of the guys went out back one day to throw something away. And they saw this, like, this bag in the the dumpster that was just kind of out of place. And so they, like, opened it. And there were, like, six, like, 24-ounce tall can empties in there. And uh, so then they had, like, a little announcement the next day. Like, hey, if anybody's drinking at night, it fucking stops now. If we find out that you're doing it or that you knew about it happening, you're gone. No ifs, ands, or buts. And so uh, then that weekend, the owner's kid who was running the shop, he gets this text message from a number that he didn't know. So it was probably one of the other guys, like his wife's phones or something. But it says, uh, it said this guy, um, he came out into the shop and he told us, look, the owner's kid said, it's okay if I drink as long as it's after 11 PM. And as long as it's only beer, but he didn't say that, you know, and he didn't, he said I could drink whatever. It doesn't, you know, there's no limit basically. Just as long as it's beer and it's as long as it's after eleven. And yeah. so uh so then they had a talk with him. Did you tell everybody that on night this? And he said, Yeah. And so then they uh they told him, Look, fucking no drinking. Just stop drinking. You're doing and at this point he was doing okay, like machining parts. And so then like a week later he shows up at work and his face is all fucked up and uh he he told everybody that like he got mugged at the uh at the light rail or something 
And then uh, one of the other guys was like, no, he, he, he came into work all fucked up and he fell over at the, he was, we had this like bigger mill where he had like some steps to like get up to it, to the pallet changer on it to change the parts out. And he fell off the pallet changer and racked oh, his God. face like on the edge of a table. Oh, Jesus. But he like made That's... up this whole story about how, uh, That's terrible. how he got mugged at the light rail and all this shit. And then uh, one day he just didn't show up and we couldn't get a hold of him. And then two days later, his girlfriend showed up to like pick up his toolbox. And then uh, she was there to pick it up. But then she tried to sell the toolbox to everybody there because he was in jail again. And she mm. was done dealing with it and needed like money for rent and shit. Oh, God. It's always someone else that pays in the end, though. Yeah. What color? What color was the toolbox? <laughs> I knew he was gonna say that. <laughs> it was a Kennedy. It was a brown Whoa! Kennedy. <laughs> I, 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 I thought um that actually on the Instagram that a couple of people put some things on there, eh? Like about the criminal thing. Yeah. Um, let me. Yeah, there was out. some funny shit out there actually. Oh, here's one. Here's one from Central Machine. I think that's is it Tom and Troy that run that. Uh, I think. Anyway, it said, we had a girl knock on the door to ask if she could <laughs> use the bathroom. She yep. was guided to the bathroom where she disappeared for about 30 minutes. An employee knocked on the door to see if she was all right, and there was no response. So the employee, I'm guessing this is one of these guys. Uh, so the employee uh, in commas, laid on the ground to look under the door. Lawsuit. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm seeing the same. He goes, uh, only to find the girl passed out on the floor. This was like 30 minutes after he gave her a drink of water with Rehypnol in it. And then uh, she, <laughs> she, ever, <laughs> she eventually came to, and while being escorted out of the building, she asked another employee, in commas, if he would like her phone number. She obviously knows what a good time looks like. <laughs> like <what? laughs> oh, I laughed so hard when I read that. I was like, oh, she obviously knows what a good time looks like. <laughs> like, what about the poor girl? She probably is traumatized for this entire experience because she decided to stop out of the machine shop and have a poo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what was the other one on there? Oh, there's another one. Let's have a look. Uh, the bicycle one's funny. Oh, where's the bicycle one? Oh, Trio BMX. Okay. I work... Oh, hang on. I think he might have spelt this wrong. It says, I work the fist shift. <laughs> I'm assuming he's not in the adult industry, but it says, I work the fist... <laughs> it says... Well, you never I work... know. <laughs> I think he means first, but it says fist. Uh, I work the fist shift and was leaving at the end of my shift and a guy from second shift was outside smoking a cig. I asked him, what's up? And he said, just waiting for the managers to go home for the evening so I can get out of here. Turns out he was starting his machine and letting it run unattended and leaving to go party each night. Needless to so? say, he was fired. About a month later, I was scrolling through Facebook and his image pops up on a local news site saying he had just robbed three convenience stores at gunpoint and was caught fleeing the last store. Well, there you go. <laughs> I think it would have been better if he was actually working a fisting shift. <laughs> I like the one about the the guy that was, uh, you know, he was, I forget how it went, but he ended up being on a bicycle, passed out in the front row. Oh. They thought he was part of the fucking incident. Oh. And come to find out he was the guy that was, is that on there somewhere? No. That's the it's original like a... question. Uh, oh, is that... They called him Bob the Bicycle Bandit. Oh, yes! yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yes, Bob yes. the Bicycle yeah. Bandit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is Joey, awesome. The story was that the guy was working there and he was like doing real good. So he got promoted and he got some right. more money. And then uh, he was he like knocked over a convenience store or like a Rite Aid or something. Yeah. And then uh, while he was drunk and he went outside and passed out. Yeah, And at first, yeah. the cops thought he was, like, a victim of, like, the robbery. And, like, he was knocked <laughs> over the head or something. And then uh, 
and then the and then the the convenience store people ID'd him as the perp. Mm, yeah, <laughs> that's <laughs> fucked up. If that's awesome. Made, if he only could have made a little bit further away, he would have been home oh. free. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Machinist Therapy Hotline. That was episode six. And on behalf of all of the Machinist Therapy Hotline team, we hope you will join us next time. Thanks for coming. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Done. Uh. That's good. I feel better, guys. Thank you. Good. Uh.